right. We're going to go to the Word of God. I have a special message, and yet familiar to some, message entitled, The Sting of Victory. The Sting of Victory. Will you stand to your feet to honor God's Word? We'll be in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, verses 50, until the end of the chapter. 1 Corinthians 15, starting with verse 50. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot enter, inherit the kingdom of God. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. The word of the Lord. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Jesus, please add a blessing to the reading of your word that goes beyond my thoughts or any of our feelings. Your word talks about victory here and also the sting of, of death. Many of us are really tangibly feeling the sting of death in this moment, regardless of the church clothes and church attitudes we put on and church faces, we, we feel the discouragement of life. And for those of us who feel that, some of us have a hope in the victory you bring into our hearts that swallows all the rest of that stuff up and others don't. And, and Lord, worst of all, some of us don't feel any sort of sting at all because we live under it. We're so numb to the, the, the vain and momentary things that could catch us up. So Lord, you know exactly where each of us are. And I'm asking that you would meet us where we are. And in that place, Holy Spirit, minister to us deeply, way beyond any man or any of ourselves can do. We give you this time in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Welcome again to the Springs. If you're visiting, my name is Peter. I serve as the lead pastor. Today I have one big idea as I work through our passage. And it's this. Before the greatest victory comes the deepest sting. 
Before the greatest victory comes the deepest sting. The greater the victory, the deeper the sting. In fact, in my opinion, as it relates to life, there's no victory, true victory, without a deep sting in your life. This is true in sports. If you don't speak jockeys, this will be just a moment of illustration. But the, the best story in all of sports, in my opinion, is the fourth quarter comeback story. It's the story of victory swallowing up the sting of defeat at the very end. And I think one of the reasons why this resonates with real human hearts is because it says something about the real life issues that we face. I mean, think about it. What if the very real pain that maybe you brought in here in one way or another, the the pain that we try to suppress so often, what if that pain is not God judging you? What if it's not his rejection of you or his displeasure with you? What if it's the sting, and not the sting of death, but, but the sting actually of victory? You just don't see the comeback mounting yet. What if God is bringing you a victory that's greater than you expected, and therefore he's allowing you to feel a deeper sting than you might have planned or scheduled this year in your life? Sanctified what if, God help us. So here's how I want to work through our passage. I want to teach through the first half of our passage and develop context for this big idea that I draw from it. And then next, getting near the end of our passage, we're going to see what the sting of death is and just how the resurrection of Jesus Christ swallows it up in general and through faith in our lives if we believe in him. Number three... Third thing I want to do, I want to show you how this truth has been manifest in my life, especially in really painful moments of my life. And I I trust the Holy Spirit will encourage you more than you were expected to be encouraged today. If you didn't want to be encouraged today, then you just have to sit through this. Because the last thing I want to do is leave us with the very last verse of our passage. It's a life and death challenge from verse 58 that we need to leave with. A big therefore. But first, let's get to our first verse. Verse 50. I tell you this, brothers or brothers and sisters, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Most of us live most often in the whole realm of the perishable. That's what Earth existence is kind of all about. We live in the perishable realm, uh, the flesh and blood realm, as Paul says here as well. But God has eternally and will always eternally live in the imperishable, the, the glorious realm of reality, the place and existence that's more real than what you feel is real and what I feel is real. And so necessarily, if we're living in the perishing in perishable realm, necessarily we, we are in a state of perishing. The difficult part about this is we too often don't know it. We have so many economies that thrive in, in helping us to deny this reality of perishing. And God is willing for us to feel the sting of the reality of our perishing, not so that we, he can play with us or punish us, 
but so that we can really see true victory manifest, so that we can really see his salvation. You see, Jesus, the Savior, really loves to save. That's my seventh grade aphorism right there. Jesus, the Savior, loves to save. It's kind of his thing. And so he's willing to show us why we need saving. That's the, the state that we live in, that we just swim in, where we don't know that we can't save ourselves because the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. We also often cannot even understand that in the first place, that we need saving in the first place. So often we'll go around, man, Jesus will save you. And so many people are like, great, from what? And we kind of don't know either. And this is a problem. The main distinction with our faith and any other idea or religion is that all the other ideas and religions is, is, is man's best attempt to try to save himself. Do things, say things, believe religious tenets and, and act on them in this way or that way. Stand up, sit down, fight, fight, fight. All the things that people would try to do to get to heaven and get to God. The main distinction with Jesus that's different than everything else is that when we cannot get to God, we cannot get to heaven, the God of heaven gets to us. And he goes through the most extreme measures to get to us. Probably the most famous verse in the Bible. Let's go here. Uh, John 3, this is the only time I'll step out of uh, 1 Corinthians 15. John 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world. This is how extreme he is in his saving. He so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish or languish forever in the sting of death, right? Should not perish, but have eternal life. But let's keep reading the next few verses. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him, verse 18, is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. You see, we're in the perishable realm. We are perishing. We're already condemning ourselves by our fallen hearts and our actions, and we can't fix that. Our efforts to do so make it worse. The, the, the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. Now let's go to the next verse in our main passage, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 51 through 53. Behold, I tell you a great mystery. Everyone say mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. Must. This is amazing. God made us for this. You need to know that God made us for immortality. God didn't make us to languish in the sting of death and all the confusion that's associated with it. He made us for adventure, for truthfulness, 
for virtue, for making a promise and keeping a promise and receiving the same faithfulness. He made us for power, for peace, for conquest. He made us for a great mystery of life with him. That's way better than all that sin could ever promise. He made us for this. But the problem is that we've all kind of changed from that. Changed in a bad way. We've fallen. You've heard this Bible word before. We've fallen into a state of, of futility. We were made for glory, for adventure, for joy. And instead, we're in a place of vanity, futility perishableness, what our verse is saying here. This is not supposed to be like this. The Bible talks a lot about vanity. When King Solomon had everything and realized it's kind of not God, but I'll kind of waste it anyway, he wrote this book, Ecclesiastes, about the vanity of life. You can have everything you want. In fact, some of the greatest curse that a man can, or a woman can see is getting everything they want and yet, yet living in the futility and vanity of it all. Our last verse, 58, says the, the opposite promise of this is that if we're steadfast and immovable in faith, our work in the Lord is not in vain. Context for that? Work is in vain without the Lord. Everything is in vain without the Lord. All of our best hopes and and desires to do altruistic and good things, it's vanity. In fact, our good efforts are sin without God. Remember, I I did say I'm going to encourage you, so keep listening. We don't live our lives in the context of the mystery we're created for. We live our lives most often in the perishable context of the nightmare we've created for ourselves. Now, the mystery is that God will not let his children stay there. He comes to save. And the mystery is that we have this victory through faith in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I have faith in that, in in what he's done for me, and I have this victory inside me. And yet I still have to carry that out in faith and the victory is received in seed form. And what Paul's saying in this verse is that we will actually have a time, verse 52, 51, that this, this thing called victory is the only thing we know. We don't fight any other thing. The trumpet will sound, he says here. And when the trumpet sounds, it's not like, it's not like a ringtone that we can kind of just silence and go on with the distractions and anxieties of our lives. When the trumpet sounds, it's a sure day. Or as Paul continues to develop, develop verse 54, when the perishable this day puts on the imperishable, the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, and it gets a little scoffing of death here. I like this. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? I did a lot of stupid things in my 20s, but one of them is misquoting this verse. I missed the whole then shall part, kind of an operative, important thing in this verse. Then shall the saying come, oh, death, where is your victory? I remember quoting this, and it might have even been like in the context of a funeral. Like, yeah, death, where's your sting? Where's your victory? Well, the point is, it it was right there. (laughs) That's where it was, at the funeral. 
The point is that right now we have victory by faith and we still feel the sting. But there is a coming day where the victory swallows up that sting. Today, we still have both. Today, believers still get cancer, get laid off from jobs, face the pain of racism, betrayal, exploitation. Tomorrow, no. But today we have victory and the sting. We have victory by faith. And if you're a Christian in here, it is and is to be the most prominent thing about who you are and what you do and what you say and who your friends are. The most prominent thing about your life is the victory in Christ. But you still have the sting today. And the enemy is going to try to use that reality to try to tell you something's wrong with you or God. No, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will feel a sting today. But ultimately, it's not the sting of death, if you're a believer, it's the sting of victory. Because the, the greatest victories are preceded by the deepest stings. All of today's pain, if you're a Christian, is being stored up to be converted into tomorrow's joy. Jesus will see to it that no pain is wasted. There's a coming day where victory in your life, Christian, will not be the most prominent thing about your existence. It will be the only thing about your existence. And today is a day where by faith we're to latch on to that seed and let it grow and take out all the other weeds in its path. If we believe. A little more about this sting that it mentions here in verse 55 and then also verse 56. The first prophecy about the coming Savior, the coming Messiah, was actually given like in the context of the very first sin. How good is our God? that right when we're singing against him, he's already devising a costly plan to remedy that. How amazing is that? Genesis 3, God tells Eve that one of her offspring will defeat the serpent, the enemy. He says that Satan will strike her descendant's heel, but her descendant, Jesus, will crush Satan's head. That's pretty graphic and exciting. You see, since that point in the last several thousand years, the Bible has used, like in our passage, imagery of the sting of like a serpent or even a scorpion to describe the curse of sin and death and Satan only to prop it up as the crushed thing that will be crushed in your life if we see it that way. In fact, Paul uses this verse, in verse 56, the sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. The problem with the world today is you and me. It's sin. It's my sin. It's your sin. It's our sin. It's his sin. It's her sin. It's, it's, most of us want to point out and tweet about other people's sin, but one of the most liberating realities is when you realize, really, I'm only responsible for me. And I'm my biggest problem. Satan's a sinner too. But the difference between him and me is that Jesus can use my, my sin, the sting of my sin, to draw me to my Savior. If only I would 
focus my mind on, on what he's done for me instead of what he or she did to me. Sin is the problem in the world. Not talking about sin doesn't minimize the sting in your life. We don't want to just be a, 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 a church that we're just talking about sin so much just to beat people down. But look, if we stop talking about sin, you're still going still to feel the sting of it. The enemy's still going to accuse you. And in fact, the Holy Spirit, stay with me here, is going to want you to feel the effects of sin. Not to torture you. Ultimately, it's so that you would be awakened to the reality of the things that are in front of you. That you would be rescued from vanity. Some of y'all don't even realize that God's allowing you to feel very real pain. And it's his mercy rescuing you from the vanity of that other rich person that you might be prone to, to, to trying to envy. But God has a greater plan and a greater victory for your life. He, the Holy Spirit's not trying to torture you with the sting of death and allowing you so deeply to feel it. He's wanting you to, to be viscerally feel in, our, in your soul, and your flesh, to really deeply feel the sting of it, mostly so that you can see how much Jesus was deeply stung for you and savor the cross of the Savior all the more. And so that... Verse 57, so that you could join with the angels for all of eternity with deeper and deeper conviction and anointing and saying, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. I've also been responsible for wrongly cherry picking this verse, mostly in my 20s. Like taking this verse out of context and like, you know, like a chest bumping verse, like, yeah, victory, boom, yeah, go Spurs, go. Instead of realizing, like, this is not talking about the type of victory that an athlete should write on his shoes. This, this victory cannot be understood without the deep effects and feeling of the sting that precedes it. Before the greatest victory comes the deepest sting. And ultimately, we need to see this sting most manifest on the cross that Jesus hung on, on a Friday afternoon. And most manifest, seeing, seeing this victory most clearly in the empty tomb that he victoriously vacated. And it's still empty. And when we see that, we can therefore rightly apply it to the very real pains in our lives. And, and maybe align ourselves more with the reality of our future victory. Amen? God's going to work in your life how he wants to work in your life. You believing these things today allows you to enjoy the process more. Amen? So I want to show you how this is related to my story. That the, the moments, and especially painful moments in my life, where I didn't understand how the sting was relating to a, a victory that I was, I was not really planning for. I can never take credit for. And I'm so grateful of, of feeling all the sting that I, if I could go back to myself and preach to myself, hang in there, believe God, I would, but I can't do that, so I'm preaching to you. I grew up in central Oregon, which demographers have demonstrated is the heart of Caucasia. I, uh, 
I was so confident about all the things I was ignorant about. I was, I was living a normal, vain, religious life. So much vanity. The biggest thing in my life was my batting average. That was such a big deal. And the people that I would use to have fun with. I was perishing. I was living a life of perishing and vanity. And I, I went to church because my mom dragged me to church a little bit but just enough to kind of get a paradigm in my mind without admitting it to myself that the only people who really tried to follow the religious rules were the people who weren't as cool as me. They, weren't, you know, they didn't have anything better to do. They weren't getting invited to all the parties that I was making more fun. In my mind, the people who were really trying to follow God and like all serious were old people and ugly people. And I thought, you know, I'm going to have a good time and later I'll settle down. Didn't realize that people living for God were anything but settled down. And then I was invited to a Bible study. September 3rd, 1997, I was 14 years old. It was my freshman year in high school. My friend Josh Opie invited me to a Bible study. I used to smoke with Josh at the middle school bus stop, and I get to high school, and he's looking all different, super excited about Jesus and stuff. And he said, you should go to the Bible study. And I was like, no. He invited me the next week, September 10th, 1997. I went to this student-led Bible study, not because I wanted to go, but because I wanted Josh to stop inviting me. So I went. It was in room C13, Mr. Shuknik's math class. I went, and quite frankly, I didn't like it. I didn't like it. It stung I saw a bunch of young people having a way better time than I was having. And what was scarier is that these young people were very much not ugly. And it just, it totally destroyed my paradigm, my excuses. It just shoved them down. And what was worse than that is that they opened the Bible. Now, here's the thing about the Bible. One of the things about the Bible that I love so much is that the Bible has a unique power to, to tell you what's actually wrong with you in ways that other things infinitely fall short of, but also how it can be made right in Jesus. I just got the first part of that that week. I mean, any, any of y'all ever know, have ever been sick and been to a doctor and had something undiagnosed for a period of time, or, or worse yet, misdiagnosed, which I was doing spiritually in my life, you know the pain of misdiagnosis and the the attractive sort of pain of a right diagnosis, even if it hurts and it stings and it's severe. And that's what I felt. And I didn't enjoy September 10th at all. But September 17th came. And I can't explain to you the mystery of why I just had to go back to Mr. Shuknik's math classroom, room C13 of Bend High School. I went back that week. Joshua Opie was preaching. I remember him saying, Jesus died so that your sins can be forgiven and that you can live new life. Who wants that? I was like, I do! This guy right here! I think it was a rhetorical question, but I didn't care. (laughs) Since that time, my life has been totally different. I'm going to tell you this. If it weren't for the sting of feeling the conviction of my sin, I don't think I could love Jesus with a real true victory. Doesn't mean it had to be a week of pain, but there was a sting, and the greatest victories are preceded by the deepest stings. I, from that point on, have had a capacity to love God back. 
for 21 years almost now. And, and he changed me. It wasn't just like a, a religious guilt. I knew religious guilt. You know, like you go to church to say sorry so that you can keep on sinning. I knew that. I would even go to the Catholic offertory and light extra candles and throw a few bucks in there. But it never changed me. This was different. This was God changing me from the inside out and I saw things different. And one of the ways you knew that I had a different life is because I saw Mr. Shuknik's daughter differently. Man, I had a crush on this girl. This is the first time I could actually see a girl with different eyes. I didn't, exp- I didn't know what was happening. It was mysterious to me. For the first time, I didn't see a body with a person to manipulate. I saw a person with a body to respect. This was not me. This is something alien imputed inside of me. Like, what is going on here? But here's the problem with Mr. Shuknik's daughter. She wasn't as impressed with me as I was with me. And she rejected me for two years. And look, y'all, it stung. I was like, God, how are you going to do me like that? This is really hurting my feelings here. <laughs> and God, God was like saying to me, look, I have greater victories for your life than you have planned for yourself. And I'm willing for you to feel the sting of this so that you don't confuse your identity codependently with some other person on earth. Is anyone single in here? Or married? Hello. Hashtag Jesus is your bay. Hashtag victory. Jesus wants you to be whole. And the math, and the mathematics of the kingdom of God, as far as relationships, one plus one equals one. He wants whole people to seek him, to be whole in him. And Jesus wanted that to sting for me for a while. But winter formal of our junior year came around. She couldn't reject me forever. So... <laughs> That's us right there. I've since learned that the suit jackets come in particular sizes. So I remember that night in winter formal, like, it was like the Huey Lewis song in my mind, like, this is it, do up. Oh, I felt it. It was like touching her shoulder. I'm like, oh, this is the one. I'm going to marry her. I don't care how long I have to, to wait till I can have, you know, love and all that. Forgot the ki- our kids in our room today. I'm going to wait till, as long as it takes, I'm going to wait till after high school. And I'm like, all right, God, when's it going to be? And I remember God clearly telling me the day, right? Here's the day. Not today. And that stung for years and years and years. Jesus wanted me to feel the sting of the fight for my sexual purity. So that I could, I could have a victory that only he can give me through washing me by his blood and seeing the the power of his life in me that spoke a better word than my hormones. The greatest victories are preceded by the deepest sting. Not today, lasted seven years, but then there came a better day. My wife and I, we have another picture, our wedding day. I've since learned that gender-neutral haircuts are... <laughs> look, I did it before Bieber, so I had it first. But look at my wife. That's, you shouldn't even be looking at anything else. God, God gives victory on his time, and he lets you feel the sting. 
since this moment, we've, we've done ministry for years together. In doing ministry, getting connected with every nation and our, our spiritual family, the reality of the victories that God has for us that are a little bit more unexpected than what we plan and the goals that we set, this is ministry or life. He allows you to feel a deeper sting than you're often ready to feel because he has better victories for you. I've learned this over and over in ministry. Early on, here's a big part, is God was calling me to minister with our Every Nation family in Mexico. And I, I, got, a, uh, I got a huge passion coming back from Mexico for the, the youth of Mexico, the youth of, of the, our, our own country, I got a huge passion to see Jesus move in young people. I came back with, from Mexico with a, a huge anointing and, and overwhelming desire for the kingdom of God. I also came back from Mexico with salmonella poisoning. And, you know, I th- it lasted a few weeks. And when that sickness, however, left... What happened is that something worse came upon me. I, I had been diagnosed with lupus years before. And what I didn't know at the time was happening was one of the worst flares a, a person can have with lupus. I uh, eventually had such reactive arthritis um, that I could barely move my hands. I couldn't sleep at night for months, hardly very well. Couldn't go to the bathroom on my own. It was It was rough. I lost 40 pounds through muscle uh, atrophy. About six months of anguish, a real sting. My wife did not plan on, on being a caretaker in her early 20s for her husband. January of, of that year, 2008, we went to the doctor and our doctor says, you know, you're, you're learning to manage things a little better as you go here. But it's, it's, all the things that you're learning to manage is not going to be good enough because maybe you can walk a little better. But your C-reactive protein, the levels of the flare in your body are so high that you could have organ failure like this. Four, he says 14 times what's considered Dangerous. And you can take one of two drugs to remedy the situation in your body. And maybe over a long period of time, you can be kind of healed from this. And none of these drugs can you have kids on. So basically in that meeting, he's telling us, I might die, but at least I can't have kids. And for a newly married couple in their early 20s, this was not the best thing that we we weren't planning on that. That stung. We wept for weeks and weeks. We, I had every child I could think of pray over my body. Older people that were all cranky like me, I didn't want them praying. Just the kids. Come and pray for me. We tried a new diet. Things started to feel better in my body. I mean, and for months, I was tricking myself out. Like, is this just kind of like mind over matter? And the day that I, was, I found myself shoveling dirt outside... I went back into the doctor and I said, rerun my numbers. He runs my numbers again. He says, look, you might be managing things well, but your blood 
work says that this is 14 times what's considered dangerous, your C-reactive protein. And I looked at him and I said, that's exactly what it was last time, but I feel so different. And he looks at me. He looks back down at the paper. He says, oh, this is last time. He flips to the next page. And he sits there for a minute. And he looks closer. And then I see him like, start checking, like, is this the right, like, is this his name? And he looks at me and says, I don't know how to explain this, but your numbers are normal. And uh, I said, well, let me explain it to you. <laughs> he, he wasn't ready for the gospel at that point. But he asked me, he's like, well, so what happened? And I said, well, we were on a diet. He's like, well, that can't work. I said, we also have pe- people praying for me. He's like, hmm. Well, the power of positive thinking has been known in many areas. And I'm like, that is the silliest thing I've ever heard, but we're going to be friends, okay? We had a great friendship from that point on. I don't know if he ever came to faith, but there was victory in our life that I felt, I would have never felt the amazingness of just feeling normal and the victory of it had there not been a sting. And listen, three days later, we found out we were pregnant with our first child, Hadassah Rose. There's a picture of our ultrasound. The next spring, there's Hattie out there with me in the hammock. Listen, if I wouldn't have felt the sting of the pain, I would be prone to thinking that parenting children is primarily a biological thing and not the providence of God in my life. If it weren't for the sting, and in fact, I felt the sting more and more in the days to come. I, uh, my wife and I, after this, struggled with infertility. We, we had always desired to have adoption to be a part of our, our plan as well, and so we kind of pushed that to the forefront. You know, like the, with all the carnage in our world and the excuses and deadness of heart, the real pro-life heroes are these mothers that carry a child to term to place with a family that's waiting. And so we want to be a part of this. We want to adopt, and we went through a failed adoption placement. And then the next year, we get a call about a child who is not well in the hospital. And we have a picture of Asa Peter. He had gastroschisis. His guts were on the outside of his body. And they said, if we can get his, his intestines on the inside, he's got a tough road ahead of him. He can survive it. He might not eat very well. And we were heartbroken. But what we knew, that, that having a sick son, uh, we were more amazed at the son part than the sick part. And we adopted him in the NICU that year. And I remember praying over him, God, he's, this little boy is suffering so much at such a young age. And I remember him after his surgery squeezing my finger for eight straight hours. And I remember the Lord telling me, that to you he might just be a little child, but to me he's the man I'm going to use to bring healing on this earth. And right now, you don't see that I have greater victories planned for his life, but I'm willing for him, even in this moment, to feel a sting of it. And uh, we have actually have the picture. He did fine in the hospital, and he was eating this next year just fine. He's an amazing little kid. We went back to the fertility doctor and confirmed that we were still infertile uh, two months after bringing him home. But then the next month, Jesus weighed in on his opinion, and we had our next baby, Alma. That's a picture of the next year of our stubborn little rascal, Alma. 
And then we had a little double portion of infertility the next year. And the next picture is of our whole family, all four kids. We went from one kid to four in a little over a year and a half. It was, it's been an amazing adventure. It's a little bit of sting involved in the last few years too. God is good. All the time. And all the time. Thanks for going with me there. You need to know that the greatest victories are preceded by the deepest stings. And ultimately, Jesus was stung deeply. Not just for the sake of being stung, but for a greater victory than anyone would have ever expected. And listen to this last verse. Please don't miss this. Because there's a really important therefore. If you don't walk out with this, you could miss way too much. Therefore, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. In the Lord your labor is not in vain. There was a time where I couldn't say that Jesus was my Lord. He was the Lord. Your labor is in vain without the Lord being the center of the focus of your life and the focus of your pain and the things you're stung by. He wants to be present with you in ways that we don't tend to, real, places we don't invite him into. He's knocking on the door. He wants your pain to not maybe go away, but to be redeemed. To, be, to bring forth greater victory than you were planning on. If you don't allow him to be the Lord over that pain, it's still going to sting. It's still going to sting. You're really only missing out on the victory. Wherever you are today, as we go to the, the rest of our service, the last few songs and communion and confession, can you just be real with God and watch him minister to you in ways that you weren't expecting? Would you pray with me?